1QISA is the designation of one of the seven scrolls found at Qumran, Cave 1, in 1946 by Bedouin shepherds. We know these scrolls as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this is one that is known as the Great Isaiah Scroll, 1QISA. It's now stored and displayed in Jerusalem in the Shrine of the Book. This is an especially great treasure in that it is almost entirely complete. And it is a thousand years older than any other Old Testament manuscript that we had, making it a valuable for, valuable for textual purposes. I've had the privilege of seeing the Isaiah Scroll in Jerusalem and a facsimile of it at Southwestern Seminary here in Fort Worth in 2012. I took some of you there, I think. And a facsimile at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. several years ago. You know, Isaiah is a long book, 66 chapters. And so you'll see in this uh, picture that the scroll is 24 feet long by approximately 10 inches wide. And it's written in 54 columns of Hebrew text. Well, I brought all this to our attention because it enriches our understanding of Jesus' actions in Nazareth mentioned by Luke in his gospel in chapter 4, which has been a part of our Bible reading recently. Assuming the scroll in Nazareth synagogue was something like the great Isaiah scroll, get this, from Luke chapter 4. In Nazareth, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Well, I am impressed with the fact that Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Let me ask you, have you ever had trouble finding Habakkuk or Nahum in your Old Testament? Most of us have. But without chapter and verse numbers at the top of the page or headers that guide the reader, Jesus found what is our Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, which is located in the 49th column of the text, and you'll see it circled there. He found that. It's like he knew where the passage was located, and he unrolled and went right to it. And you know what? He did know it because he had a part in writing the prophet's message. And so I hope that's enough to intrigue you to know more about Isaiah and his message, a man and his message about grace. That's what I want to talk about today. I'm excited to introduce to us our spring spotlight, Shaped by Grace. And today we'll see that in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament. You know, that grueling book that some people say is only law and no grace. Not so. The first few sermons will focus on people shaped by grace. And today it is the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. So you can turn to chapter 6 of Isaiah, where I want us to see together that Isaiah experienced grace. He experienced grace in his own life. A notation in 2 Chronicles 26, 22 indicates that Isaiah likely moved in royal circles and had access to kings and high officials. 
Even so, one day he stepped into a throne room that unsettled him completely. Isaiah came into the presence of the sovereign and sacred God. Listen, in the year of King Isaiah, the year that he died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This experience occurred in the year that King Isaiah died. By the way, Isaiah is also known as Azariah in Kings. He was for the most part a good king. He began reigning when he was 16 years old and reigned for 52 years. But now Isaiah was dead. And at this critical moment in the nation's existence, Isaiah went into the temple where he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He saw the one who was really in charge. And this king consumed the room. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe was filling the temple. The scene also includes seraphim, heavenly or angelic beings who took their proper positions before God. Their six wings equipped them to fly and also covered their faces and feet, shielding themselves from the Lord's majesty. The seraphim song echoed throughout the temple, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, God is not merely holy. And he is not even holy, holy. No, he is three times holy. He is the holiest of all. And the seraphim knew it and proclaimed it while the temple shook down to its foundations. So here in this sacred and holy place, Isaiah saw his deep need. You see, it was not only the temple shaking that day. I'd say that Isaiah himself was shaken. He was standing in the presence of God and he pronounced woe on himself. Now, this is not woe like we might say, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this was woe like uh, a feeling of distress or doom. This respectable man who likely moved in royal circles pronounced woe on himself. He said, woe is me for I'm lost. I'm ruined. Isaiah was unraveled. He was coming apart at the seams. John Oswald writes, Isaiah was suddenly and brutally aware of himself. In the presence of the sovereign and sacred God, Isaiah was a shattered man. In our casual age, we will do well to take our stand beside the prophet and be reminded that holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You see, God's people in Isaiah's day had grown complacent and their worship was routine. God said through Isaiah in chapter 29, This people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. They were going through the motions, but their hearts weren't in it. What about us? Believers sometimes are casual about assembling and bored by worship, nonchalant in our attitude toward God. We forget that we are before the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory. When God appeared in the temple that day, the doorpost and the threshold were shaking. You might say they had the good sense to tremble before the three times holy God. How dare we think of being casual about our attendance or bored by worship? Shouldn't we have the good sense to be impressed and shaken by his awesome glory? 
Isaiah was. And when he thought about it, he was terrified. I mean, he thought it was over. His eyes had seen the king of the Lord of hosts. And he knew if you did that, that was going to be it. You couldn't do it and live. But I want you to notice something carefully. Notice what happened next. God was not there to crush Isaiah, but to clean him. One of the seraphim flew to him with a burning coal which he had taken from the altar with thongs. And the seraph pressed the coal against Isaiah's lips. According to his own confession, the sight of his sin, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. He, and that seraph pronounced Isaiah's forgiveness. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What God did is take a shattered man and he saved him. He, he graciously acted so that sin was dealt with and its penalty removed. The fire of God's righteousness consumed Isaiah's unrighteousness. That's grace. That's grace. But it wasn't quick and easy or painless. Can you imagine the excruciating pain of a burning coal against your lips? Forgiveness is costly and it may be painful. So let's face the brutal fact about our sin. It's our undoing too. Woe is me, and woe are you because of our sin. We stand lost, ruined, and undone. But God through his Son, God through his Son, will put us back together. He is ready and willing to save sinners at an enormous cost to himself. Chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. <coughs> With his wounds we're healed. Are we ready and willing to receive his salvation and to be his redeemed people? This is what Isaiah experienced. And in doing that, he experienced the grace of God. And that's the message he was to take to God's people. Because you see, Isaiah who experienced God's grace was also Isaiah who preached God's grace. I'll say that Isaiah had a tough assignment. He was to take God's message to people who weren't listening. Listen to this. God said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah's message would make their hearts dull and their ears heavy and their eyes blind. They didn't want to be healed, but God sent his message to them anyway. Man, that's a grace. And Isaiah's assignment was to move and motivate people to be God's people, to be rescued by his grace. And so the prophet purposed to move people in a significant way. And we're going to think about those ways this morning. His message, <coughs> at first I want us to think about the fact that his message was about choosing. In chapter 8 of Isaiah, the political situation was such that Judah, the southern nation, was tempted to align with other nations and trust other gods. Isaiah called people to make a choice. So let's take a look at Isaiah's message to Judah's king Ahaz. The king of Aram... And the king of Israel joined forces against Ahaz to put another king on the throne who would be favorable to them. 
Isaiah cited his son as a sign, illustrating and reinforcing the message. Shirah Yashuv, chapter 7, verse 3, was the son's name. And it means a remnant shall return. So Isaiah's message to Ahaz was not to join this alliance of king and don't fear their attack. Destruction may come, but there will be a remnant. Ahaz would be counted among the remnant if he chose to obey God. If he chose to obey God. If he chose otherwise, it would not be good. God was clear about this in chapter 7, verse 9. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You see, the message of grace is not a blanket accepting of everything and everybody. Many people seem to have the idea that regardless of how you live your life, finally everybody will be in a better place. That is not an accurate view of grace. God's grace is extended to all, but it will be received and enjoyed by those who choose God's way. Listen to Isaiah's message in chapter 8, verse 15. Don't make alliance with other nations. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Instead, encourage this, verse 16. I will wait for the Lord. I will hope in him. The crux of Isaiah's message to Ahaz was choose the Lord. Choose the Lord. A hard thing believers still face today is to make the choice between the world and the Lord. We have to choose to be in the world and not of the world. We can so easily choose otherwise. We can pitch our tents towards Sodom or seek the help of Egypt or make an alliance with Assyria. All meaning we can cozy up to the world. But listen to the prophet, chapter 31, verse 3. Woe to those, oh, there's another woe, <laughs> Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. Woe to those who trust in chariots because they are many or in horsemen because they are strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Woe is those who do that. For all its claims, for all the world's glamour and glitz, we must see the world for what it is. Isaiah said, chapter 8, verse 11, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. What can we do? We can see more clearly and we can choose more decisively. Listen to this from chapter 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one of this is missing. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. No, it didn't happen randomly by chance. He is the creator of the, I, I added that part. <laughs> he is the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord will, shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we are tempted to go the way of the world, we must choose the way of the Lord to wait for him and trust in him. Yes, the message of grace is about grace, but it is also about choosing God's way. And that message is not only about choosing, but it's also about confessing sin and committing ourselves to God. As God has a message of judgment for those who go their own way, he also has a message of comfort to those who will go his way and be his people. God announced his gracious intervention. Listen to the beginning of chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough place is a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God magnificently prepared the way and graciously sent his servant that we thought about this morning in the 915 hour. He sent his servants into the world. Isaiah declared in chapter 52, verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. It is astounding and incredible but God's servant bears our griefs and carries our sorrows. His work is a substitution for ourselves. It is redemptive and it is effective. As Isaiah eloquently proclaimed in chapter 53, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bore the sin of many. In grace, God accomplished a great salvation. And we must see our deep need for it and devote ourselves to God who gives it. Do you see what God is addressing? Look at that passage in chapter 53. It's our transgressions and our iniquities. We have gone astray. We have turned to our own way, which I think is the clearest, simplest definition of sin in all of Scripture. We have turned to our own way. But by his servant, God bore our sins. He bore our sins in his own son. But we must confess him and come to him. In the closing chapter of the book, in Isaiah chapter 66, the prophet said, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God anointed his servant with his spirit to bring good news. Listen to this from chapter 61. To bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to announce the year of the Lord's favor. The passage in in the scroll of Isaiah that Jesus located and read in Nazareth. And about this paragraph, Jesus 
sat down and said this. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus saw himself in the prophet's message. He was the Lord's suffering servant to free his people from sin and all its implications and all its ramifications. And we must humbly and penitently seek his salvation. Nathan referred to this earlier. By the way, that happened to be coincidental that he, he talked about this. Now, we didn't even talk about it this week. He wasn't here this week. He was off in a workshop. But an Ethiopian was traveling from Jerusalem back home <coughs> and was reading the scripture. And the place where he was reading was Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. The Ethiopian asked Philip to help him understand the reading. And Luke tells us in Acts that Philip began at that scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And from that good news, the eunuch understood he needed to be baptized. And when they came to some water, he was baptized. And in that, he joined with Jesus, buried with him, and raised to walk a new life. And that was not some work of merit, but it was a humble action of faith in which he was baptized to join with Jesus. So, let's get the entire message of grace before us. I see three things happening. That God's grace sacrificially accomplished salvation. It wonderfully announced its reality and its availability. And it graciously calls people to confess sins and follow the Savior. And let me use Isaiah's words to proclaim the message of grace. It was sacrificially accomplished. Chapter 53, verses 10 and 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall proclaim his, prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Grace sacrificially accomplished salvation. And then it was wonderfully announced. That's what Jesus was about in the Nazareth synagogue. Chapter 61, verse 1. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to those who are bound. And God's word through Isaiah graciously calls people to himself. But this is the one to whom I will look. He is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In this Old Testament book, God's grace sacrificially accomplished salvation, wonderfully announced it, and graciously calls us to choose God's way. I close with this little scene. In Greek mythology, the sirens were creatures with the head of a woman and the body of a bird. They lived on an island and sang songs with irresistible charm. The sirens sang as mariners passed near the island. Their songs were so alluring that mariners would jump overboard to get to the island, only to meet their death on the jagged rocks. Mariners knew about the rocks, but when they heard the siren song, they could not resist. 
When Odysseus' ship came near the Sirens Island, he had his sailors stuff their ears with wax so that they could not hear the songs. And Odysseus himself wanted to hear the songs, so he ordered a sailor to lash him to the mast with ropes. So his ship passed the island without losing a man because they restrained themselves by sheer grit. On another ship was Orpheus, a great musician. The ship drew near the Sirens Island, and Orpheus knew what would happen. The songs of the siren would lure the men to hurl themselves overboard, and they would meet their death on the rocks. So Orpheus tuned his lyre and began to sing. And as the ship passed by the island, the men did not hear the siren's song because they were captivated by Orpheus's sweeter song. We sometimes think in terms of being right with God by sheer grit. You know, we have to get all our doctrines worked out just right. We have to get our performance up to par. And we forget that when we have done everything we are to do, we're still unprofitable servants. Luke 17, verse 10, we're still in need of saving grace. Yes, we must face the forthright message about our sin and guilt. We are accountable and responsible before God. We must help people see if we can that sin is serious and deadly and that believers are to be faithful and obedient. But over against this hard word is the sweeter song of God's grace. God, through Isaiah, says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may, be, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That is the sweet song, the sweet song of God's absolutely amazing grace. And may that dwell in our hearts and move and motivate us to be God's faithful people. Well, that's the message of grace this morning. Will you choose God's way, confessing your sins, committing yourself to the Savior? We saw Campbell Greer do that this week on Thursday night, and we rejoiced with the angels in heaven. If we can help you be baptized into Jesus, everything that we can do is ready, and we'll help you obey the Lord. If there's anything we can help you do in a spiritual way, you let us know. And we're encouraging each other to respond to God's sweet song of His grace while we stand and sing together.